O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, November 19th. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the biblical calendar, the Sabbath, the feast, and the Torah reading cycle. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure Word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit. As it is written in Romans 10:17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we listen to the spoken Word of God, it is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is alive, it is powerful, and it renews our mind and builds up our spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Vayishlak, and it means, and he sent. Genesis 35, 14-36-19 Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath, but Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond Migdal Eder. While he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. These are the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. 
The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These are the names of the sons who were born to Jacob at Padan Aram. So Jacob returned to his father Isaac and Mamre, which is near Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. Isaac lived for 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This is the account of the descendants of Esau, also known as Edom. Esau married two young women from Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite. He also married his cousin Basemeth, who was the daughter of Ishmael and the sister of Nebaioth. Ada gave birth to a son named Eliphaz for Esau. Basemeth gave birth to a son named Ruel. Aholibamah gave birth to sons named Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. All these sons were born to Esau in the land of Canaan. Esau took his wives, his children, and his entire household, along with his livestock and cattle, and all the wealth he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not enough land to support them both because of all the livestock and possessions they had acquired. So Esau, also known as Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. This is the account of Esau's descendants, the Edomites, who lived in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife Ada, and Raul, the son of Esau's wife Basemeth. The descendants of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah, the concubine of Esau's son Eliphaz, gave birth to a son named Amalek. These are the descendants of Esau's wife Ada. The descendants of Raul were Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the descendants of Esau's wife Basemeth. Esau also had sons through Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna and the granddaughter of Zibion. Their names were Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the descendants of Esau who became the leaders of various clans. The descendants of Esau's oldest son, Eliphaz, became the leaders of the clans of Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the clan leaders in the land of Edom who descended from Eliphaz. All these were descendants of Esau's wife, Ada. The descendants of Esau's son, Raul, became the leaders of the clans of Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the clan leaders in the land of Edom who descended from Raul. All these were descendants of Esau's wife, Basemeth. The descendants of Esau and his wife, Oholibamah, became the leaders of the clans of Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the clan leaders who descended from Esau's wife, Oholibamah, the daughter of Anna. These are the clans descended from Esau, also known as Edom, identified by their clan leaders. Ezekiel 39, 1-40-27 Son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. 
I am your enemy, O Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drive you toward the mountains of Israel, bringing you from the distant north. I will knock the bow from your left hand and the arrows from your right hand, and I will leave you helpless. You and your army and your allies will all die on the mountains. I will feed you to the vultures and wild animals. You will fall in the open fields, for I have spoken, says the Sovereign Lord. And I will rain down fire on Magog and on all your allies who live safely on the coasts. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In this way I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will not let anyone bring shame on it, and the nations too will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. That day of judgment will come, says the Sovereign Lord. Everything will happen just as I have declared it. Then the people in the towns of Israel will go out and pick up your small and large shields, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, and they will use them for fuel. There will be enough to last them seven years. They won't need to cut wood from the fields or forests, for these weapons will give them all the fuel they need. They will plunder those who planned to plunder them, and they will rob those who planned to rob them, says the Sovereign Lord. And I will make a vast graveyard for Gog and his hordes in the valley of the travelers east of the Dead Sea. It will block the way of those who travel there, and they will change the name of the place to the valley of Gog's hordes. It will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. Everyone in Israel will help for it will be a glorious victory for Israel when I demonstrate my glory on that day, says the Sovereign Lord. After seven months, teams of men will be appointed to search the land for skeletons to bury, so the land will be made clean again. Whenever bones are found, a marker will be set up so the burial crews will take them to be buried in the Valley of Gog's hordes. There will be a town there named Hamona, which means horde. And so the land will finally be cleansed. And now, son of man, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Call all the birds and wild animals. Say to them, Gather together for my great sacrificial feast. Come from far and near to the mountains of Israel, and there eat flesh and drink blood. Eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all fattened animals from Bashan. Gorge yourselves with flesh until you are glutted. Drink blood until you are drunk. This is the sacrificial feast I have prepared for you. Feast at my banquet table. Feast on horses and charioteers, on mighty men and all kinds of valiant warriors, says the Sovereign Lord. In this way, I will demonstrate my glory to the nations. Everyone will see the punishment I have inflicted on them and the power of my fist when I strike. And from that time on, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. The nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for sin, for they were unfaithful to their God. Therefore I turned away from them and let their enemies destroy them. I turned my face away and punished them because of their defilement and their sins. So now, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will end the captivity of my people. 
I will have mercy on all Israel, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land, with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will never again turn my face from them, for I will pour out my Spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. On April 28th, during the 25th year of our captivity, 14 years after the fall of Jerusalem, the Lord took hold of me. In a vision from God, He took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. From there I could see toward the south what appeared to be a city. As He brought me nearer, I saw a man whose face shone like bronze standing beside a gateway entrance. He was holding in his hand a linen measuring cord and a measuring rod. He said to me, Son of man, watch and listen. Pay close attention to everything I show you. You have been brought here so I can show you many things. Then you will return to the people of Israel and tell them everything you have seen. I could see a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The man took a measuring rod that was ten and a half feet long and measured the wall, and the wall was ten and a half feet thick and ten and a half feet high. Then he went over to the eastern gateway. He climbed the steps and measured the threshold of the gateway. It was ten and a half feet from front to back. There were guard alcoves on each side built into the gateway passage. Each of these alcoves was ten and a half feet square with a distance between them of eight and three quarters feet along the passage wall. The gateway's inner threshold, which led to the entry room at the inner end of the gateway passage, was ten and a half feet front to back. He also measured the entry room of the gateway. It was 14 feet across, with supporting columns 3.5 feet thick. This entry room was at the inner end of the gateway structure, facing toward the temple. There were three guard alcoves on each side of the gateway passage. Each had the same measurements, and the dividing walls separating them were also identical. The man measured the gateway entrance, which was 17.5 feet wide at the opening and 22.75 feet wide in the gateway passage. In front of each, the guard alcoves was a 21-inch curb. The alcoves themselves were 10.5 feet on each side. Then he measured the entire width of the gateway, measuring the distance between the back walls of facing guard alcoves. This distance was 43 and 3 quarters feet. He measured the dividing walls all along the inside of the gateway up to the entry room of the gateway. This distance was 105 feet. The full length of the gateway passage was 87 and a half feet from one end to the other. There were recessed windows that narrowed inward toward the walls of the guard alcoves and their dividing walls. There were also windows in the entry room. The surfaces of the dividing walls were decorated with carved palm trees. 
Then the man brought me through the gateway into the outer courtyard of the temple. A stone pavement ran along the walls of the courtyard, and thirty rooms were built against the walls, opening onto the pavement. This pavement flanked the gates and extended out from the walls into the courtyard the same distance as the gateway entrance. This was the lower pavement. Then the man measured across the temple's outer courtyard between the outer and inner gateways. The distance was 175 feet. The man measured the gateway on the north just like the one on the east. Here, too, there were three guard alcoves on each side with dividing walls and an entry room. All the measurements matched those of the east gateway. The gateway passage was 87.5 feet long and 43 and three quarters feet wide between the back walls of facing guard alcoves. The windows, the entry room, and the palm tree decorations were identical to those in the east gateway. There were seven steps leading up to the gateway entrance, and the entry room was at the inner end of the gateway passage. Here on the north side, just as on the east, there was another gateway leading to the temple's inner courtyard directly opposite this outer gateway. The distance between the two gateways was 175 feet. Then the man took me around to the south gateway and measured its various parts, and they were exactly the same as in the others. It had windows along the walls as the others did, and there was an entry room where the gateway passage opened into the outer courtyard. And like the others, the gateway passage was 87 and a half feet long and 43 and three quarters feet wide between the back walls of facing guard alcoves. This gateway also had a stairway of seven steps leading up to it, and an entry room at the inner end and palm tree decorations along the dividing walls. And here again, directly opposite the outer gateway, was another gateway that led into the inner courtyard. The distance between the two gateways was 175 feet. James 2, 18-3, Now someone may argue, Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I, James, say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. 
for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect, and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all parts of the body, the tongue is the flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out? with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Psalm 118, 1-18 Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, His faithful love endures forever. In my distress I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes. The Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees, they blazed against me like a crackling fire. But I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Proverbs 28.2 When there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily, but wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. I'd like to speak to you today from Ezekiel chapter 39, and then we're going to jump into James chapter 3. And the passage that I want to look at with you is, I would call it a greater Exodus passage. It's talking about the future in gathering, where Yeshua is going to gather in his people and lead them back home to the land of Israel. And it's talking to the whole house of Israel, all 12 tribes. It's not just talking about or to the Jews. So let's start in chapter 39, verse 25. So now this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will end the captivity of my people. Let me just hit the pause button. So five, ten years ago, we wouldn't have thought that we were in captivity wherever we live in Australia, Canada, America, Europe. We're free people. But when we think about what that sounds like today, in light of the pandemic, with the lockdowns, the quarantines, the mask mandates, the vaccine jab mandates that you no jab, no job, you can't travel, get on a plane or participate in much of public life unless you show a green pass or a vax passport in places like France and Israel and in Australia. And it's soon becoming that way in America as well. So are we a people of captivity throughout the nations? In many nations, yes, we are now living in captivity in the land of our enemies. So the Lord says, I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on who? All Israel. That's northern kingdom and southern kingdom. All twelve tribes. The Jews and the non-Jews. For I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. There it is, the promise that he's going to bring home his people. Where? To the land of Israel. That's you and me, my friend. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, do we live in the land of our enemies today? Yes. Basically, I would say that America has been, uh, the republic has fallen and we're now a vassal state of China and uh, communism and dictator-style tyranny is happening at every level of government, at the state level with governors and mayors in, in the cities and at the federal government from the White House 
They are making decrees and dictates that are completely unconstitutional and illegal. And recently, the federal court stepped in and said, uh, Biden, you you cannot mandate that the private sector employers force their employees to get uh, vaccinated, and we're going to put a stay on your order. And the next day in the news, Biden's administration said, hey, employers, you need to just ignore what the federal court said. Just ignore what the court said and proceed and get your, your employees vaccinated. Acting just like a dictator, a tyrant. So are we living in the land of our enemies? Yes. Australia is sending out an SOS for help and asking that everybody participate in... Um, like a a peaceful protest in all the nations except Australia, because if you participate in a protest there, they might beat you up or kill you or shoot you in the back. So they're, they're crying out for help from Australia. December the 5th, they're asking that people show up to the embassies of Australia throughout all the nations and do a peaceful protest and make, um, make a plea for, for the nation of Australia, for the people there. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am Yahweh their Elohim because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will never again turn my face from them, for I will pour out my Spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. So this is something we can look forward to. Things may still get more difficult. We may still have some more trials to go through, but we have this ray of hope and this promise and this bright light of this hope of promise that the Lord says he's going to gather us from all the nations where we have been scattered and take us home to Israel and where we can live in peace and not be harassed. And I look forward to that day. Boy, do I look forward to that day. Now let's jump into the book of James. And every time I read this, there's always a conviction that hits me. Um, Looking into the word is like looking in a mirror. And when you look in the mirror, you can see dirt on your face. Now, if we repent, Yeshua is the soap. He washes the dirt off of our face. If we repent, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in this passage in James, it talks about the mouth and the tongue. And he says how a tiny spark, James chapter 3, verse 6, a tiny spark can set a forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now think about this. Our words are very powerful. Words change the atmosphere. 
the Lord spoke, let there be light. And then there was light. He spoke, let the dry land appear. And then the dry land appeared. And so our words are very powerful. And we can speak words of blessing to edify, encourage, affirm, and build up others. Or we can speak words to tear down, to criticize, to judge, to gossip, or to stab in the back. I don't want to think about the many times that I have lost my temper in times past and said things that I regret. But once the words are out there, you can't take them back. And so a really good prayer to pray is to pray a prayer something like this. Father God, I repent of my evil words that I have spoken. And I pray that you'll put a bit on my tongue, a spiritual bit. And that whenever I am tempted to release words into the atmosphere that are angry, unforgiving, harsh, accusatory, judgmental, or gossipy, I pray that you will pull on the reins and not allow those words to escape from my mouth. Father, cleanse my heart, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of the mouth is issuing from the heart. So Abba, cleanse my heart. Take away the darkness. Take away the sin. Take away any unforgiveness or anger. Take away those things. I repent of them. And please cleanse my heart and cleanse my mouth. May I speak only words that are edifying and pleasing and uplifting, encouraging and affirming to others. Or may I be silent. May I be silent. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that your word is like a mirror and we can look in the mirror and you can show us and reveal to us truth. You can convict us of sin and you can change us from glory to glory. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that you do love us and you do forgive us. And that uh, when we walk in a humble manner and in a repentance lifestyle, that you are there to restore us and help us to keep going forward. Help us to be people with clean lips and a pure heart. Help us to be humble. Help us to be loving. Help us to be faithful. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Adonai Vish Mareka Yeah Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayaseh Leka 
The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.